fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile All righty, the Fantasy Fullback Dive. We're beyond thrilled here to welcome for the first time ever Graham Barfield, the director of analytics at the brand new powerhouse fantasy site, fantasypoints.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, Graham. How you doing, man? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, first time on. Feels feels good. Feel uh, feel refreshed after the draft had a nice long weekend where i finally like got a few days off and uh, i'm excited to talk some ball with you oh it's awesome yeah me too there's some beautiful weather out here i live in uh, massachusetts and it's been horrible these last couple days but we finally got like two two in a row back to back 60 and sunny and it was nice. just like i just th- didn't think about football for a couple days and and, and that's tough to do because honestly it's just like courses through my veins like i'm sure it does for you but it, I, i'm with you i totally get that um, and we've had some great luck having on some fantasy points, guys. We've had Barrett on a few times, Scott. Uh, so we're, we're hoping to keep that trend rolling because you guys are bringing the heat. Um, and that's kind of actually where I want to start it here is, uh, is fantasy points because you started working out. And a lot of people might know you from, you know, Fantasy Guru, Roto World, Fantasy Labs, and most recently, uh, the NFL Network. So you've been at some of these huge powerhouses in the fantasy game, and now you're a co-owner of this new site, Fantasy Points. Can you kind of describe this path a little bit and, and what led you here and why Fantasy Points? Sure. Uh, so just backing up like a little bit, I started writing and covering football full-time in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan Silva hired me at, at Roto World as like a part-time contributor, and I helped out with their projections one summer. I was like 21 years old, knew nothing, and and really had to learn on the fly. But it was like one of the coolest learning experiences ever. Um, you know, even before then, I, I always knew I wanted to work in sports. Always knew I would eventually do something uh, with sports. Like it didn't matter if it was football, baseball, basketball, golf. Even like I, I just knew I wanted to be in the sports realm. Never thought I'd become a full time fantasy guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I've been really fortunate to. To work with a lot of very talented people, a lot of people a lot smarter than than I am, and and learn and and kind of absorb as much as I possibly can. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I worked uh, two great seasons at the NFL Network. Most recently, I uh, got to do a lot of really cool stuff, and there's some amazing, extremely talented people over there. Um, but I got an opportunity that that you know John Hansen, the the founder of Fantasy Points, was uh, previously the founder of Fantasy Guru. Uh, he hired me right out of college. Um, and you know, he came, came to me with, uh, you know, with this idea for fantasy points and, and really, I mean, with the staff that we have and, uh, all the content that we're doing, it's, it's just such a perfect marriage for, for all of us. Cause we all kind of get to do a little bit of everything, you know, we get mm-hmm. to all kind of contribute. We're all equals and we all, uh, get to, to kind of focus on our strong suits. And, uh, I, I can't be more excited about the future, the staff that we've put together, uh, between John and Joe Dolan, Tom Browley, uh, Scott Barrett. We got Greg Cosell writing the rookie draft guides every year. Uh, we've got some incredible folks working on IDP and um, IDP projections. I mean, we've got great injury analysis. It's uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been the first couple weeks after the site launch has been it's been 
pretty amazing to see the the community's response as a whole and super humbling. Uh, I just can't wait for the season and I can't wait uh, for the seasons to come. Absolutely, man. That I will say, I, I don't read a ton of other fancy content. As I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but everything's just so busy producing our own. But I will say, I've gone out of my way to check out the fantasy point stuff. I mean, from the just already the draft coverage and whether it's the coaches' commentary, whether it's the what we're going to dig, dig into a lot today, the yards created and how you've been breaking down the rookies and their fits and just and, and you mentioned you know John Hanson, just a legend in the industry. Coastal, I've always read his rookie stuff, so it's been very impressive. When I when I don't like to not I don't like to I just don't have that much time to consume fantasy content I've been pouring hours and hours into to fantasy points right now so anyone who hasn't checked you guys out I mean it's it's a gem you guys are really killing it over there appreciate that man yeah absolutely absolutely and I'm actually really intrigued just to learn before we dig into the players and I know that's what a lot of our listeners are really looking forward to but there's a couple just overall things I want to cover with you real quick and uh, who better to cover it with than somebody with the title the director of analytics because analytics has become such a big forefront to both the NFL and fantasy Uh, what does this role kind of mean what are you doing there with the director of analytics title yeah, it sounds super fancy. That was a John Hansen special. I, I am not one to, to give myself titles or anything like that, but, but John made both Scott Barrett and I the, the director of analytics at Fantasy Points. So we're both the co-directors, both co-owners. And essentially, like we, we kind of form uh, the, the data side of the analysis over at FantasyPoints.com. I mean, Scott... Uh, I, I personally think Scott is like one of the best fantasy analysts in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has such an amazing... Um, mind for distilling what matters and what doesn't matter with data. And I think we, we form a, a pretty interesting team in the sense that like we both attack the game in fantasy from, uh, you know, obviously a data angle first. Um, but I would say I'm, you know, with yards created, I definitely take more of a film uh, mm-hmm. aspect to into my analysis. And I think we, we kind of, um, you know, view, view the game in a similar way, but we both have like our, our you know, our little uh, strong suits, I guess. Absolutely. I think that's an interesting point to that. You, you like to dive into the film just as much as the data because there's I, – it feels like there's a divide sometimes in the industry. Like you're either a film guy or you're a stats guy and like there's no middle ground. And I just don't get that why it's, it's that way. <laughs> I don't get it either. I mean you should be, you should be an information person. Like exactly. You should be looking for the most relevant information that's going to give you a leg up on your opponents. And like you don't have to – have one or the other. I mean, uh, there are people out there that like just don't trust their eyes. So they strictly go off data. So I totally understand that. There's other people out there that, you know, don't necessarily, you know, aren't great in Excel or just don't feel comfortable analyzing data in a, in a, you know, super in-depth way. And they just trust the film. So I understand that, but to not have at least a blend of both in your process is, is selling yourself short. And, uh, and honestly, like, you know, you're kind of missing out on, you know, maybe learning, uh, a, a new skill. I mean, there's, you know, there's ways to train your eyes to understand, you know, uh, you know, how players are deployed on the field at the very, li- at the very minimum, uh, you should, you should be looking into seeing how coaches are using their players on the field. And that's something that data can't necessarily capture. Absolutely. I think I always kind of fell in early on to the the film, I guess, the eyeball test kind of guy when I first started playing, wasn't really producing my own content. I just kind of like to watch the players, and I've become almost addicted to the stats now. Like, I, I definitely like both. I especially like when the stats inform the what I'm seeing on tape. Um, and so I'm totally with you. Like, if you can get a leg up in any which way, whichever way you're getting the information, it's always a good leg up. That all being said, though, like, 
I feel like the industry is getting definitely, there's tons and tons of information, whether it's a, a different type of predictive stat and whatnot. And, and you know, we just obviously reference Baird a lot. He likes to call it kind of the noise, right? There's tons of stuff out there. What do you kind of take on this wealth of information? Like, and is there certain things that you really truly trust or stats that you just feel like that much more factors, whatever it might be like, what do you think is the truest or, or strongest indicators of fantasy value? Sure. I mean, we live in this, you know, this space now in fantasy back when I started in like 2012 or 2013. Uh, I can just remember, I mean, that was back when people thought that, you know, you had to be 6'3 and 230 pounds to play wide receiver and that running backs uh, still mattered. And like you had to run the ball to win games in the NFL. And I think uh, I think the fantasy space has done a lot to prove and, and kind of push narratives. But now we've gotten to a point where uh, and this is this is kind of a blessing and a curse. Like we've gotten to a point now where charting data and the analytics in the community has just gotten so much better and so much stronger mm. that people are looking into uh, or looking a little too deeply into the details. Like I can remember back, like I said, 2012, 2013, when I first started doing this, like the idea of getting Jimmy Garoppolo's play action passing numbers hmm. At that time, would I? I would have sold. I, I don't even know, like the amount of money that I would have paid to, to <laughs> get that type of information back then. And Pro Football Focus had it, but like, you know, it's become a lot more readily available. And mm. now I think we've gotten to a point where, because there's so much information readily available, I think um, the best models and the best statistical projections that you can make are the most simple ones. Mm. And in fantasy football. The only thing that really matters, like I can sit here and talk to you about how running backs look, how I think their traits will um, uh, translate to the next level. I can sit here and, and wax poetic all day about that. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is opportunity. And if your projections are not centered around who's going to be getting the ball and at what parts of the field, um, you know, if, you're, if your model and your projection system does not start around those two key facts, then... Uh, you, you probably need to go back to the drawing board. Um, you know, Scott talks about the noise a lot. Like I read Nate Silver's Signal and the Noise front to back a couple years ago. I read, um, I, I read uh, Nassim Taleb like religiously and I read Anti-Fragile front to back back in college. And like the, the biggest thing that I've taken away from like reading people that are way smarter than I am at, at building projections and, and modeling into the future is that like usually the fewer the inputs, the better. But you want to make sure that those inputs that you're putting into the model actually matter. And for fantasy, to me, like the the lifeblood of scoring for both receivers and running backs, if you're playing in a PPR league, are targets. And if you're not trying to find every way possible to predict who's going to get the ball and at what points on the field, then, um, like I said, you probably need to go back to the drawing board because opportunity is really the you know the main core of the game that we play. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, Barrett too is such an innovator in that where he calls them the metrics that matter that he did at PFF. I'm sure he's going to bring a ton of that work to, to fantasy points as well. You know, the bell cow index or the, the target hog and trying to you know pick all that out. So totally agree. If you, if you're not starting with the opportunity, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're rotten on the bench, what does it matter? Um, and then there's all those factors that go into the opportunity, you know, is the surrounding talent around it, 
you know, quality enough that you're going to have the scoring chances. What is that volume? You know, the quality usage might be higher than the sheer volume at times. And there are factors, but if you're not getting the touches, none of those things will even matter in the long run. So um, to totally get that for sure. And and I was kind of suggesting earlier, you know, I love the stats that kind of tell me what I'm seeing on tape. And I feel like one of the stats that is the best at this, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast here, and that's why I'm so thrilled to have you, is yards created. I mean, you've really brought some groundbreaking statistical work here with this stat that you've generated here. And and I just love it. But for any of our listeners who, who might not know quite yet what is yards created, um, what is it? And, and why do you think it can be so useful to owners sure uh back five years ago i you know um i'd listen to podcasts read articles and and say you know i read the, these very talented writers and great scouts say oh this back has very good vision or oh he creates on his own or oh this back really forced a lot of missed tackles but they weren't really putting data in context to their to their statements and Look, I mean, we can all sit back and watch Clyde Edwards-Alaire chop up linebackers and and put you know put guys in blenders and understand that he's a you know he's very good at making defenders miss. But all I wanted to do really was put data and context behind college players. Uh, yards created um, is basically uh, it's very simply that the yards the running back creates on on his own, independent of offensive line play. And I also chart. You know how many yards the offensive line will will block on an individual play basis as well, and look, I mean, running back and an offensive line play will never be fully divorced. Running backs, especially in the NFL, especially in the NFL, are highly dependent on the on on their offensive lines, and uh, I mean these defenders in the NFL, especially now, are so so fast and so good to the edge um, that you know offensive line play is extremely important in the running game. Um, that being said it's kind of different in college football. I mean, it's a different game. You know, the, the hash marks are wider, the defensive lines that these guys are playing against are just not as talented. And the offensive lines on the same, you know, same token are not as, as, uh, as talented. So I think it's kind of a different lens and a different game in the sense and the college game with these running backs, because, um, you know, look, I, we can all sit back and, and look at game logs and see that J.K. Dobbins ran for a thousand yards in three straight seasons and was a monster at Ohio State. Uh, but I think it's important to to know, you know, oh, you know, J.K. Dobbins can create on his own. He's not just a guy who uh, ran behind a great offensive line and uh, you know didn't face a lot of good you know defenses in college. I, I think yards created really. It's not a perfect metric by any means, but it definitely gives a lot more context to how players win and. Uh, and, and, you know, what their production really was like uh, in terms of like a baseline towards college averages uh, that I've charted over the last five years. And when you say charting it, like what exactly is your process? Are you watching every carry that these guys take and then mapping it out? Are you picking select games? What, what goes into this type of process? Right. So um, I, I watch all 22, uh, the, the coaches film on – Usually what I try to do is a minimum of six games of a final year. Um, if I can't get, um, you know, a couple final games, I'll, I'll push it back to the, this year prior and, and chart those two. But really, yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, it's every snap. I'm watching every play, watching every run, watching every route run. Uh, it's a very meticulous process. Uh, it takes quite some time. Uh, this past year, I kind of got a little bit of a late start because – uh, of obviously everything that's going on, uh, in the world, but also I was changing jobs and stuff. So I didn't really get to like fully dive in until like 
couple weeks after the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, it usually takes me a solid couple of months to get to get a full class done, and and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It's you learn a lot, you know. From I, I went into this with like, you know, I went into this project never expecting it to be. Uh, you know, five, six years later, still talking about it. Like I just, I honestly was kind of following Matt Harmon's footsteps with reception perception. I reached out to him and uh, got, he gave me a lot of great Intel with this, but uh, uh, for the arts creative process, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of turned into this, uh, this year round thing for, or, you know, not year round, but at least four or five months during the, during the draft season. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. I, I just, i get so excited to do it every year because I learned so much about, you know, not only the players and the running backs are coming into the, into the, into the, you know, the NFL, but also learned so much about football and how teams are deploying players. It's a really fun exercise. Absolutely. No. And that's why, again, we're just so thrilled to have you on here is because very few people out there can say they've seen as much of the players we're going to discuss as you have and had just the understanding of the running and the overall picture that you just hinted at of the running back position, not just as a runner, but in the receiving game and overall evolution of offenses. So I'm thrilled to be able to kind of pick your brain here. Um, Let's just kind of prove the concept here that it has been useful and talk about over these last five years of doing the stat who are some of the NFL players who've kind of tested the highest um, that have translated and it's really shown through the, the yards created metric? Right. Um, you know, going back, my first ever draft class was the Zeke year 2016, and he absolutely shredded in yards created. I think he's still like, I uh, just pulled it up. He's still, yeah, fifth in yards created per attempt. I've now charted over like 60 running backs or something like that for yards created. He's still fifth in uh, in that met- in, in yards created per attempt. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely look. I mean, I, like I said, I, I never wanted I, I never went into this thinking it would be a like projection stat. I always thought it would be more of a descriptive stat to show like, oh, this is a running back that actually is creating on his own. Uh, but the top guys are kind of a cream of the crop talent-wise in the NFL right now. Joe Mixon uh, leads the database in yards created per attempt. Darrell Henderson is actually second. Uh, but Kenyon Drake was third. Saquon Barkley's fourth. Zeke, as I mentioned, was fifth. Anthony McFarland is sixth. Oh, uh, we'll get to him in a little bit. Yeah, I yeah. like McFarland quite a bit. But, I mean, even rounding out some of like, the top 15 is like Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think the two biggest ones that stand out to me and maybe the, maybe the three biggest ones that stand out to me that kind of uh, maybe highlighted that these guys could be, you know, either really good NFL backs or they're just very underrated in the draft class. We're all in the same 2017 class. And that was Hunt, McCaffrey and Kamara. I had Dalvin Cook actually at number one in that class, but I, I loved Christian McCaffrey and, and mm-hmm. people were. Uh, debating in that class, if you can think back, if if you've been following long enough, but people were saying Christian McCaffrey couldn't run inside, and and yards created really showed that he's a very good inside runner, and uh, I think the NFL has also shown that. But I mean, even you know Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara, both of those guys were third, fourth round picks in the NFL, uh, and and uh, you know in terms of yards created per attempt, I mean they're they're both top ten still. Um, I, I think it's definitely highlighted some some unique talents. Uh, at, in, in, you know, kind of the mid rounds of drafts as teams are figuring out that you don't have to draft a running back early. I think, you know, this metric kind of uh, maybe highlights some of the third, fourth, fifth round guys that, that go kind of unnoticed, I guess, to the, the general public. But um, I, I think Yards Creator does a good job of like highlighting who's actually talented in that range and who's not. 
Yeah, and I think the the other way it's so useful too, and I I only noticed not only noticed it, but I especially noticed it when researching for this was I was reading your your 2019 piece, and not only does it predict who's creating on their own really well, and as you mentioned, some of those big names that panned out. But I remember reading you know, David Montgomery, right? You're like, yes, he's a yards after contact monster, but he's not doing that much outside of just like kind of churning and churning. And he might not have that wiggle that's going to really translate at the NFL level once he's getting tackled by these bigger monsters that aren't just, you know, the college level guys. And and that's kind of what happened with him, right? He, he broke a tackle here and there in the NFL level, but just never really had that that season so many were predicting so I've seen I mean I've seen it work great as predicting who's going to blow up I've seen it great as you know who might not translate whose style of games won't work as well once the competition to play um, increases so I, I've loved it so far I mean I think it's a, it's a great metric and that's why I can't wait to dive into how some of this rookie class is performing have there been any big misses yet where like you were like this guy's a bona fide lock or this guy's not creating at all and it, he either you know you thought he was going to be a lock to produce and just kind of stunk it up at the NFL level or somebody that, you know, didn't look like they were going to be a yards created machine and is now churning. Yeah. I mean, there's a few, uh, Sony Michelle is probably the number one guy that stands mm-hmm. out to me. He uh, yards created really illuminated like, uh, Nick Chubb and, and Sony Michelle were both like, they came out in the same draft class, obviously, uh, both at Georgia. I liked Chubb and, and Michelle very equally. Uh, but obviously injuries have been the biggest thing. For, for Michelle, Joe Williams, if you can remember that name, that's an old name. Kyle Shanahan drafted yeah. him back in 2017. Banged the uh, table for him. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't ba- not have him. Was, <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, he was banging the table for him. Uh, <laughs> the draft apparently. And look, anytime Kyle Shanahan drafts a running back, yeah. I like my ears perk up mm-hmm. uh, just because I think he's a genius in, in terms of his run game scheme. But yeah, Joe Williams really popped in yards created. Uh, injuries, again, kind of, you know, ended his career. Um, the, the one kind of swing and a miss that I think I've made, uh, that I made was joke, uh, uh, was, uh, uh, sorry, that was John, Ke- John Kelly out of mm. Tennessee. Uh, he was a one year starter out of Tennessee, but he like popped and missed tackles force per attempt. He was pretty strong in yards created per attempt, especially as an inside runner, uh, went to the Rams, which again, piqued my interest because Sean McVay. Uh, but he just has not panned out, has basically not played at the NFL level uh, at all. But, but yeah, John Kelly is probably the one one miss, I think, that, that Yards created has, like, uh, has missed on simply because – and I, I think he I think it's a miss just simply because he was, like, a one-year starter and played behind Alvin Kamara. And, uh, you know, he had a couple really nice games for Tennessee, but uh, but ultimately it was, like, a really small sample size for him. Yeah, so for the most part, this this metric has been you know knocking it out of the park. So it's it's good to hear. Um, and and I, I I mean I'm a Pats fan, so you brought up Sony Michelle and and you just said injury. That's he just does not look like that guy we were seeing at George. I was so excited when we drafted him, and you know that Alabama like it was just like this is the guy, and now he's going to be our back. It just he had that knee injury in the preseason, and then we haven't seen the the same Sony, which is devastating because I'm with you I love the guy coming out and I I'm sick of him beyond belief at this point I think it is the knee just never has has been right since then exactly you know who knows uh but let's get into the the rookies which is a lot why a lot of you know people are going to be really interested in this class it's you know that's what the the buzz is at this moment is this 2020 rookie class I've been reading a ton of 
excellent praise on him. I personally think it's a great class, but in terms of just as an overall group, what do you think after you've been doing all these charts for the last five years, how do they kind of stack up? This class is to me on, it's not, it's not in this, it's, it's, it's on par with the 2017 class in the sense that like the top end is just absolutely money. And now that we have landing spots, like I especially feel really strongly, this is like the second best draft class that I've personally charted. Uh, 2017 was just absolutely loaded. I mean, we had Joe Mixon, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, uh, RIP. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was just it was just a loaded class. Dalvin Cook, and even on the lower end, like Aaron Jones. I mean, some of these guys were just I mean have really popped in the NFL. I don't think this class is as deep, but at the top, the top four or five guys is about as good as you could possibly get. Let's take into some of these names. And, and at the top of that list, the first guy taken is, is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And most are generally considering him that rookie 101 lock. And tons of that's you know because of the landing spot. Obviously, the, the Chiefs are as explosive a juggernaut as you can have. Uh, you know, Mahomes is vouching for the guy and potentially a high-volume ro- uh, role with Andy Reid's kind of history here. But just beyond all the dreamboat surroundings... What about Hilaire himself kind of makes this fit so perfect? And, and how do you project him doing in the NFL level? Right. I, I thought there was an outside chance the Chiefs took a running back at 32. I thought they might just go defense and get a corner. Uh, but they made all of us fantasy geeks happy with, uh, with the Edwards-Hilaire pick. I mean, it's just a dream spot. I mean, I, uh, I tweeted this out a couple weeks ago, but I, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the second best route runner I've personally ever watched over the last five years among running backs. Christian McCaffrey is still number one, and McCaffrey is just a little – I think he's more versatile and a little more explosive, and he has a little more long speed than Edwards-Hilaire, but like very few running backs have the understanding of how to separate and generate leverage against linebackers uh, than, than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did. Uh, I got a chance to watch all four of his games against Alabama, Clemson, and Auburn. And Edwards Alaire caught 28 balls for 243 yards Ooh. against some of the best linebackers and safeties in college football. I mean, these are guys that are going to be playing on Sundays, and, and some of them were even drafted. Uh, Edwards Alaire just has an unbelievable understanding of cr- how to create separation uh, with his feet and with his quick. Uh, he's just got, he's so twitchy, he's such a twitchy mover. Uh, he constantly made throws easy for Joe Burrow, and now we were, we're going to drop him in this Chiefs offense that is going to that is going to spread the field with Tyree Kill, with Travis Kelsey, with Mecole, with Sammy Watkins. Like Edwards Alaire is going to get one on one coverage against linebackers underneath all day long, and he is going to shred. Um, as as a pass catcher, the the fit is perfect. I I also think. Yards created illuminated that that Edwards Lair is probably a better inside runner than most people give him credit for. Uh, he created more yards uh, created more yards per attempt on his inside handoffs than DeAndre Swift, AJ Dillon, Cam Akers, Zach Moss. I mean, some of those guys, especially Dillon and Moss, are considered to be very good inside runners. And Edwards Lair was more creative. Um, granted, he definitely ran into fewer stack boxes, and, and LSU was primarily running out of the shotgun. So there's definitely some more space for Edwards Lair to create naturally. Uh, I just love this fit. I just absolutely love this fit. You, you, you nailed it at the top. I mean, he is the runaway 101. 
Absolutely. And, and I mean, everything you just cited there, their GM has already come out and said that, you know, his quote, interior running ability, vision, instincts, start, stop, redirect, hands out of the backfield. The guy has the ability to play in slow motion. He was tailor made for this offense and what we're trying to build moving forward. So, I mean, he's already come out and pretty much said, this is our guy. I do see some concern by some because of Damian Williams. Like, do should we be nervous about him at all? Do you think Hilaire just steps in and is immediately the, the horse here? What's your, what's your expectation? there right I mean I, I like Damien Williams as a player I mean I, I was vouching for you know taking Damien Williams in like the early third round of redraft leagues last year so I mean I'm definitely a fan of his and, and think you know if he had stayed healthy last year he definitely would have been a top 10 running back uh, but you don't take a running back at 32 overall to give the, the you know your look Damien Williams is a fine player but he's not in the same talent conversation as, as Clyde Edwards Alaire especially as a pass catcher mm-hmm. um I think we'll see week one at minimum a 60-40 split in favor of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and I think we'll see that gap widen. If you look back at 2017, the year Kareem Hunt came into the league, um, Spencer Ware got hurt, but they basically used Kareem Hunt as an every-down player except in like two-minute situations where Hunt was left in the pass block. Hunt was not a great pass blocker, and I still think the jury's out if Edwards Alaire can be a good pass blocker, but I think there's a legitimate chance that we see by the end of the year Edwards Alaire playing like 75-80% of Chiefs snaps just because he provides so much, uh, just another mismatch nightmare uh, in the passing game. It's just going to be really hard for the Chiefs to take him off the field. I mean, the Chiefs are the number one most pass-heavy team in the NFL. I mean, if you look at like First and second downs last year, the Chiefs were passing 65% of the time. Um, and if that sticks, like Edwards Alaire is going to catch 55 balls like in his sleep this year. And he has a chance for like 70 or 75. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's kind of how Reed operates too. It's very rare that I get the committee's been kind of you know, annoying as of late, but I think it's just because he hasn't had his guy. And exactly. we all know the quote at this point, Brian Westbrook, you know, they studied the film together and then Reed came out saying Hilaire is better than Westbrook. You know, that guy was an absolute monster under Andy Reed, never finished worse than the, the RB8 and was top four for four of his five seasons with him. Uh, and that's just, you know, 12 of his RB1s have finished top eight in 16 years. So, I mean, 75% hit rate, that's pretty damn impressive. And it's the, the offense itself, but also, you know, the, the passing game usage, as you said, I love love Barrett's article on how much more important and, and valuable receptions are to running backs. And you just hit it on that. If they're throwing that much on first and second down, 55 catches might be the, the absolute floor. Like it could be that yep. much better. Uh, and the, the GM even came out and said, you know, he was asked the question, can he be featured like Hunt, as you mentioned, or Charles? And he said, I think because of the offense we run, I, I do. You know, we're not this traditional power offense. The kid's perfect for our offense he could be just like those guys so I mean and then you look at those seasons just insane Jamal Charles had like a 19 touchdown season under him so they're just I, I the fit's so perfect and the, the talent you just described fits what they want to do so perfectly that I don't see how this isn't a beautiful marriage I, I have him 12 overall in redraft leagues never mind just rookie only yep. um I, I'm all about it um after him, though, it seems like there's a pretty consensus 102. Uh, and if there's somebody above Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it's it's almost always this guy. And that's Jonathan Taylor, uh, who was probably my favorite prospect coming into this draft. And doubters kind of say he's a product of Wisconsin line, the system. But your charts, I was reading about him yesterday, they suggest otherwise. So what are the Colts getting in Taylor? And what do you expect short and long term for this guy in fantasy? 
I was with you, by the way. I had Taylor as the RB1 in this class pre-draft. I never thought I would move off Taylor as the yeah. RB1. Like I thought he'd go pretty easily top 40. He went 41. Uh, I thought the landing spot would be perfect for him. I thought he'd be the first running back off the board, but alas, he wasn't. Um, yeah, I you know I went into Jonathan Taylor's tape. Like I, obviously, we've all seen enough Wisconsin ball to know that Taylor was a baller. Uh, but I, when I was studying him, I was really interested to see just how big of an advantage Wisconsin's offensive line was. And they definitely are better than the college average. Like if you're just looking strictly at yards blocked per attempt, the metric that I chart, like they're they're slightly above average. But they are definitely not. They were definitely not a juggernaut offensive line. A.J. Dillon and DeAndre Swift both saw significantly more yards blocked per rush than Jonathan Taylor did last year. And I wrote about this on FantasyPoints.com. I, I wrote a Jonathan Taylor uh, profile on his fit uh, with the Colts and just looking back at, you know, th- through some of his yards created numbers. And, you know, not only was Wisconsin's offensive line, you know, they were good, but not great. Um, they also used a fullback a ton. Uh, last year, Wisconsin had a fullback on the field on about a third of Jonathan Taylor's carries, and Taylor was actually more creative with the fullback off the field. Uh, now, that that probably has a little bit to do with personnel. Uh, when you don't have a fullback on the field, you're typically spreading the field a little bit more. You might get a few, you know, fewer defenders in the box. So there's a little bit of like context that's needed there. But I just you know, I really struggle when people say, you know, Taylor was a product of a great offensive line or a great scheme. I, I just don't think yards created showed that. I also have a hard time when people say Taylor does not have a lot of elusiveness. Um, I chart missed tackles three different ways. I chart them through speed, power, and elusive, elusiveness. And elusiveness is, you know, it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire's game. That's what he wins with. He doesn't win, spe- uh, win with speed and power. But Jonathan Taylor can win with speed, power, and elusiveness. Um, I had... Uh, Taylor charted with slightly more missed tackles forced per carry by elusiveness than uh, speed and power. I, I just the fit with the Colts is just absolutely bananas good. I mean, look, it, you can we can debate all we want. Much smarter people can debate the pick, the value of the pick, all they want. But I'm just excited to see an extremely talented and creative back behind the most talented offensive line in the NFL and. Uh, that's all we can ask for for fantasy football. And, and you're charting a Taylor. Did you? I know you talk about pass protection and all the you know the receiving game work in addition to creating as a runner. And tons of people are drawing to the fact that Rivers loves to pepper his running backs. You know, certainly not an Austin Eckler or Danny Woodhead like we've seen a hundred reception you know, type of seasons out of. But did you see anything about Taylor's receiving game that tells you, hey, maybe this guy could handle an additional 30, 50 catches or so? Right. You know, so again, like some context is needed about the way Wisconsin runs their offense. I mean, they were the third most run heavy team in the power five last year. They, they, they called a run on 59% of their plays. Uh, Boston College, A.J. Dillon's team was at 63% run heavy. And if you flip the uh, if you flip it like LSU, FSU, Vanderbilt, like all these other programs were pass first. Um, when Wisconsin did pass, they tried to get the ball to Jonathan Taylor last year. And it worked. Uh, Taylor was targeted on like a third of his routes last year, which is the highest rate I've ever charted for a running back. And he was actually only second in the class to Zach Moss in yards game per route run. So Wisconsin schemed the ball to Taylor in the passing game last year, tried to get him the rock out in space. And when they did, it was pretty damn good. I mean, Taylor got 26 balls for 250 yards, had five scores. Like 
this is this I, I, I talked about this in my article, but like it's kind of the, I view this as almost the same way as, as when Melvin Gordon came out. Like Gordon did not catch the ball at Wisconsin, but the Chargers and Philip Rivers turned him into a very good pass catcher. Actually, I think Melvin Gordon is a much better pass catcher than he is a rusher. Um, I, I think Taylor has underrated three down appeal in Indy. It'll just come down to to Frank Reich, and I, I just don't think Frank Reich views a bell cow back as a necessity in his offense. And, and frankly, like that's the smart approach. You should want to keep your guys fresh. This year, I think Taylor and Mac will be a one A one B type committee, uh, and we might even see Naheem Hines' role uh, phased out, and we'll just use Mac and Taylor more in the passing game. Absolutely, yeah, and. With Marlon Mack, he does have a little bit of an injury history too, so I definitely see this being that one A one B. But if he goes down, it, it could oh, be baby. this the you know yeah exactly right like behind that offensive line. If you're getting seventy percent of the touches, I mean if that offense takes that next step with Rivers there, whew, that could just be I mean a fantasy season winner. Um, so you know definitely long term, Mack's a free agent coming up this year, so we know that. But a lot of people you know might be overlooking the fact that this guy's year one upside is enormous like I mean RB1 upside if and I think it's a matter of when he takes over this backfield to, to monopolize you know 50 to 60 percent of it we'll see uh, but I, I love him too so everything you, you highlighted there is just getting me excited over here uh, the, the next guy on my list and I'm intrigued to know who you kind of have number three in terms of your, your rookie running back rankings but for me it wasn't really much of a debate, even though it is for everyone else. I have Dobbins just like a clear number three for me. Uh, am I wrong to be so? You're nodding success otherwise, but uh, what's your take on Dobbins, both for redraft oh, and dynasty? <laughs> dude, I, I'm I'm so with you on this. Like when when they announced that pick, I I, I you know look, I I hadn't worn pants like during this quarantine <laughs> at all. Uh, it, the cl- if if I did if I were wearing pants my pants would have been off after the Edwards Alaire pick <laughs> they especially flew off my body after the Ravens took J.K. Dobbins uh, I mean my God you want to talk about a perfect fit it's J.K. Dobbins with the yes. Baltimore Ravens um, look any running back that runs with Lamar Jackson in the same backfield is it's a cheat code I mean Lamar Jackson's because he's so fast at the perimeter and because he's so good off play action as a passer. Mark Jackson does not get nearly enough credit for how good of a play-action passer he's become. I mean, he is incredible, not only at manipulating linebackers at the second level with his legs, but also with his eyes. And the the Ravens' run game centers around Lamar's reads, not only in play-action, but on RPOs. And mm-hmm. last year, J.K. Dobbins ran more RPO than any running back in this class. Nearly 60% of the char- uh, carries I charted uh, four Dobbins were off RPO reads with Justin Fields. And J.K. Dobbins absolutely shredded. I, I wrote about this on fantasypoints.com. You can read a little bit more in depth into why I love the landing spot so much. But J.K. Dobbins, man, like Jonathan Taylor was the best inside runner in the class. Uh, but J.K. Dobbins was a very close second um, in terms of yards created per attempt. Uh, Dobbins was the only uh, one of two running backs in this class that that created uh, above average yards per attempt on both inside and off tackle carries. I mean, I had questions about Dobbins ability as a receiver, almost the same, honestly, the same questions I have as Jonathan Taylor uh, as a receiver. So he probably won't be used much in the passing game with the Ravens, um, especially this coming year, because when Lamar is, you know, 
looking to pass and you know his first couple reads aren't there he's scrambling he's not going to try to check it down he's going to take off and run and pick up yards so for fantasy like i think dobbins ceiling is just a little bit capped um long term simply because i don't think he's all he's never going to be a high volume receiver but on the ground i mean my goodness uh, jk dobbins rpo uh, ability and and one cut ability uh, to explode through the hole and, and make second levels uh, second level defenders miss. It, it's just it's seriously uh, you know something that <laughs> that dreams are made of. Uh, for fantasy this year, uh, like Mark Ingram is not going to go away. He's thirty you know he's thirty years old, but he was still extremely good last year. Uh, I think they're going to form a, a pretty vicious one two committee where we'll we'll see Ingram get like two hundred and ten carries and maybe Dobbins get one fifty. Uh, that'll be pretty pretty gross for fantasy this year, but for dynasty man like. Buy all the J.K. Dobbins you can. Absolutely, and you highlighted he succeeded on the outside, the inside. Like the, one thing that's also true too is they they ran for you know his early freshman year a lot of zone runs, whereas they moved to more like the power and gap scheme, and it didn't matter. Like it, whether it's misdirection in pulls, whether it's you know the zone schemes, he just reads his blocks so well, and that's crucial because of what Greg Roman does, right? Like he he mixes every which concept of the run game. Whereas you know you think of Shanahan, it's all zone or you think of the gaps but this guy just his run scheme is so creative that it demands a Mark Ingram type that can read every single block that can thrive in any scheme and and Dobbins proved he could do that so like I you know it's very rare a runner could be that tailor-made to the scheme but you know what, what do you think of that nature of it oh I'll tell you what Nick yeah I have um you know I go back to like if, if I'm thinking of the most if I'm thinking of the backs with the best vision and footwork I've ever seen, the list would start with Nick Chubb. Uh, J.K. Dobbins would be up there, though. I mean, like this this guy has an unbelievable ability to just read, isolate, and explode. I mean, he he when he makes a decision, it's over. And when he in this offense, I mean, this isn't this isn't a slight against Dobbins. This isn't a slight against uh, him as a player at all. But like he ran through a lot of big holes at Ohio State. He's going to run through a lot of big holes at Baltimore yeah. now, too. And when he gets to that second level, he's going to have a lot of one-on-one situations against second-level linebackers. And I want my money on Dobbins against a, against most linebackers in a one-on-one situation going through the hole. Absolutely. I, I know this isn't a rookie this year, too, but you just brought up Nick Chubb. And he's actually my, my sneaky favorite bet to lead the NFL in rushing this year. I can't wait till those Probably. odds come out because that zone-blocking scheme Stefanski's going to bring there. You just brought up his vision, his footwork. Like, there's nothing more important for a zone-blocking scheme. I, I think we're going to see a Dalvin Cook-style breakout. And I get Kareem oh. Hunt's there, but uh, that's, that's my pick for leading the league in rushing, my sleeper there, um, because of everything you just said. So, so besides those big three, there's kind of like a big five, right, in this, this running back class. And the, the second two didn't really land in the most ideal of situations, with that being, you know, DeAndre Swift and Cam Akers. Let's start kind of with Swift, who was the number one prospect for many people. Me and you both kind of said Taylor was our two favorites, but Swift is up in at least the top three for most lists of people. But he goes to Detroit, kind of a gross landing spot. Is this a guy that, even though the the new home isn't great, could still thrive because he's that good? Or how did he kind of uh, you know measure up in your studies here? Yeah, I, you know, I, after Taylor, uh, pre-draft, after Taylor, I really like. I swear to God, I could have thought like any of those backs would be number two. I, I could have put, I looked at my rankings like for probably four hours and adjusted like the top five a billion times. And honestly, then I just gave up because I, I loved, you know, the top five of this class so much. But 
Yeah, DeAndre Swift, the landing spot, we'll get to that in a second. But as a player, I, I just absolutely loved him. It's, it's hard not to, honestly. I mean, he just does everything well. He doesn't have necessarily one standout trait. Like Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a better route runner and probably a little more shifty than Swift. But Swift can win at all three, fa- all three phases. He was a fantastic pass blocker. Does not get nearly enough credit for how good of a pass blocker he was. And he doesn't get enough credit for, like, just – I think he can be a sustaining back in the NFL. Like, I don't think we're going to see DeAndre Swift get like a Zeke workload where he gets like 300 carries. But I, I think DeAndre Swift should. I don't know if he will, but I think he should easily command 225 to 250 carries there in Detroit this year. Um, uh, DeAndre Swift, it was one of the most consistently creative backs I've, I've ever charted. Um, Georgia's offensive line was fantastic. They were number two in the class in yards blocked per attempt. But DeAndre Swift like was just consistently great. Um, uh, you know, he created five or more uh, yards on 34% of his carries at Georgia this past year, and that's like in the same tier as like Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Sony Michelle, who we talked about, uh, Kareem Hunt, in terms of like consistently creating yards on his own. Uh, Swift was obviously very elusive too. Uh, he finished third in this class in, in uh, missed tackles forced per attempt. Uh, only Edwards Alaire and Zach Moss were were more efficient and, and better at making defenders miss. Um, the, the only concern I really have, like, and, and this isn't really a long-term concern for Swift because I'm not entirely sure their coaching staff will be there in 2021, but at least for this season, Daryl Bevel doesn't throw the ball to his running backs, like, at all. I went back and looked at his history, and Daryl Bevel has only had one running back where he's given more than 60 targets. Oh, or granted, yeah. granted, he had a lot of really good runners on his teams. <laughs> he had Adrian Peterson. He had Marshawn Lynch, and neither of those guys are, are great pass catchers. Mm. Uh, they're definitely run-first guys. But we wanted DeAndre Swift to, to land in, in, frankly, like Kansas City or Tampa Bay, a team we know was going to get him the ball as a pass catcher. And now we've got this weird committee situation where Swift will be, at, you know, a 1A, 1B to carry on Johnson. And, you know, then we don't know if he's necessarily going to get the ball in the passing game. Um Nick, I think, you know, the Lions might be tipping their hand that they're going to try and get Swift more involved as a pass catcher. I mean, you don't draft a running back like DeAndre Swift without a plan in place to, you know, give the the running back more targets. So I hope if the the idea of rational coaching and rational (laughs) player development uh, makes sense, it would make sense that Daryl Bevel kind of changes his his colors a little bit and gives his running backs the ball a little bit more in the passing game. But based on the history – that's not necessarily something I'm going to be projecting in year one, especially with a talented back like Carryon Johnson there, uh, there still. Yeah, if only it was that easy. He could assume rational coaching. Sadly, we, we've learned far too many times. That's not the case. Absolutely. Uh, the, the next guy up, though, Cam Akers, uh, kind of rounds out the big five. And a lot are viewing him as the heir apparent to Todd Gurley. But I believe I heard you say that Daryl Henderson's your number two all time yeah. in this uh, behind was only Joe Mixon. So, I mean, clearly he has to have some talent himself to finish that high as well. So do you think Cam Akers just comes in and, and takes this job right from from him do you think Henderson forces a committee this is obviously you know with Gurley being the top running back in fantasy for 17 and 18 obviously this backfield does contain some upside and some value so how do you see it playing out yeah you know um I I was hoping I was wrong about Cam Akers but I before the draft I was afraid that teams would view him as just like the 1a of a committee I thought Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Jonathan Taylor uh, could be workhorse backs in the right scheme. Um, and, of course, now they're going to the right scheme. Yeah. Cam Akers is not. Um, 
I, you know, Darrell Henderson coming out of Memphis was always going to be a little bit of a project because Memphis's offense, the way they play, the way Memphis ran the ball is is pretty far. I mean, very few teams can do what they do in terms of their zone and uh, in terms of their zone uh, game and their power game. I mean, they're just constantly moving offensive linemen to, to, to create space. And Darrell Henderson just absolutely exploded yeah. through huge holes there. Very talented back. But Cam Akers, man, like at the very least he is at the very least he is used to running behind a bad offensive line yeah. because the rams last year were a bottom 5 offensive line in terms of talent and this year they didn't get any better i mean they had two picks at 52 and 57 where i thought they should go offensive line instead they drafted acres and, and van jefferson mm-hmm. uh, their best offensive lineman andrew whitworth is going to be 39 in december um, acres at florida state ran behind the worst offensive line i've ever charted I mean, in terms of yards blocked per attempt, uh, they were dead last. Akers was hit behind the line of scrimmage on nearly a third of his carries. Like, he just had no chance behind that line. Um, Akers is very, very agile, an extremely good athlete. Uh, but my concern is is now, like, who's going to get the ball? Like, wh- how are we going to distribute touches here? And right now, like, I'm not nearly smart enough to know the answer to that. Uh, they love Malcolm Brown. They gave Malcolm Brown a big role in the red zone, especially early last year. Like, I think Sean McVay wanted to get – I think he wanted a running back by committee last year. But Darrell Henderson just wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, I, I watched I watched every carry of Henderson's in the preseason and regular season last year, and especially during the preseason. He looked so slow and clueless. Like, he just did not know what he was looking at. Uh, I hope that that will change this year, maybe in off season. Uh, of studying the playbook and studying the, the blocking scheme and understanding where to you know where to look will help him. But I think last year the Rams wanted to go with the committee with Henderson and Gurley being the one A one B and Brown mixing in as a change of pace back. And I think they're going to do that this year with Acres as the one A, Brown as the one B, and then Henderson as the change of pace guy. And frankly, any of those three backs, I put Brown probably last on this, but any of those three backs could break out at any point and, and be the bell cow, but I just don't know if that's the way the Rams want to play this thing. Uh, Nightmare indeed. That sounds horrendous. And it's kind of what I'm projecting right now too, unfortunately. So I hope one of them takes it by the horns, but I I don't see that happening for fantasy. Unfortunately. Uh, One guy that a lot of people are thinking will take the backfield by the horns, a rookie is, is Keyshawn Vaughn going to the bucks. And and that was probably like the number one, if not at worst number two spot that we were all sitting here waiting, who's going to go there. If it wasn't going to be the chiefs, it was the bucks that like we all wanted a running back to land. And I guess this is, as flashy as if it had been Swift or one of these big five guys, but could Keyshawn Vaughn potentially be a, a major factor here? Is he going to take this job from Ronald Jones? What do you think in this Tampa Bay offense for him? Yeah, you know, I, I wrote about this on, on fantasypoints.com. I think Keyshawn Vaughn is just a better prospect than Ronald Jones coming out. I mean, he created more yards per attempt. He was better in the passing game in terms of yards per route run, and he was a much better pass blocker. And that final point matters. Like, yeah. Um, we can go back and forth all day about like, you know, running back roles in the passing game. Should they pass block? Does it even matter if they're good pass blockers? Because most of the times, if you're a good receiver, you're not going to be pass blocking as a good running back. But Keyshawn Vaughn is a damn good pass blocker. Uh, DeAndre Swift and Zach Moss led this class in pass protection execution rate. The, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn was a very close third and on tape, he showed a very clear ability to, to anticipate and square up to block uh, to, to oncoming blitzers. And for Tom Brady, a, a guy who can't move in the pocket anymore, 
he wants a running back back there that he knows he can trust uh, as a protector. And I think Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, we, we won't get rookie minicamps. We probably won't get training camp. But I think when the time comes, Vaughn will prove himself as a good pass blocker. And that might be the, the way that he earns the 1A role over Ronald Jones. Uh, I've Honestly, I've always been lower on Ronald Jones' talent than consensus. Uh, but he really did bounce back last year. I, I thought he had a pretty nice bounce back season, went over a thousand total yards, showed, you know, flashed some of those good plays that we saw out of him from time to time at USC. But I think it's pretty clear, you know, the Bucks spinning a third round pick. Uh, once you adjust for how teams are adjusting their own value system for running backs, like a third round pick for a running back is a pretty, pretty sizable investment in today's NFL. And I think Keyshawn Vaughn will at worst be like a workman like 1A lead in this committee where he gets like 12 to 15 carries per game. And Ronald Jones is more in like the 8 to 12 carry range. But I think Vaughn has three down potential for sure. Within this offense that was you know, third highest in scoring last year and could potentially, if Brady still has it, go up. I mean, a three down roll would be enormous it, upside. And Nick, uh, Scott Barrett put together a great uh, press conference review mm-hmm. article over on the site. And uh, uh, Jason Light, their GM, lit up about Keyshawn Vaughn. Like he was, he repeated himself like three times saying Keyshawn can play all three downs. We can, we expect him to play every down. Like there, they, they saw something similar that, that Keyshawn can play every snap. And at Vanderbilt, he played on over 70% of his team snaps. Like running backs typically do not play workhorse like, you know, snaps like that in college football. But I mean, Vaughn was on the field nearly every single play for Vanderbilt this past year. And I think he can do that for Tampa Bay. Oh, and hope, hopefully so. He's uh, the offense is just that good that even if he's not incredible like those other six, if he is getting that opportunity within this scheme, he might end up being the highest scoring one outside of maybe Hilaire if he does get that type of work, at least for year one. Um, the only I've got a few other backs listed here, and and more their questions are more kind of tied to the the NFL veteran they're kind of uh, invading here. Except for, you know, Antonio Gibson, kind of like the maybe the most polarizing guy here. Very minimally used, only, I think, 33 touches in college. But obviously, it can't argue the explosiveness here. Do you think he's got a shot at an immediate impact with the Redskins? It's kind of a hideous backfield, but there's a lot of bodies and not a whole lot of explosiveness or talent there. Like, What do you think his, his kind of projection right. is next year? Right. Yeah. I, I did watch every one of those carries last year. He had 33. And if he had enough carries to like, I felt like be a meaningful sample, he would have led this class and missed tackles force mm. per, per carry. I mean, he talk about a guy who can make somebody miss in space. I mean, he has like just unbelievable open field movement ability. Um, I just, look, I, I really don't know what his role is going to be in this backfield. I mean, the Redskins have like 49 running backs. <laughs> I, I don't know if any of them are any good. Like I like Darius guys coming out, but guys, knees are completely shot. Adrian Peterson is really old. Um, you know, they've got Bryce love his knees by, might be shot. Like, I really don't know how many snaps Gibson is going to play, but I think he could be like just a movement type player, kind of in the same way the Chargers use Austin Eckler. I'm not obviously comparing the skill sets of Gibson yeah. and Eckler, but in terms of the way that I think the Redskins view Gibson as a player, they view him as like, let's give him the ball six, eight times, you know, as a, as a runner and try to use him uh, uh, wisely as a pass catcher. Uh, Greg Cosell is like one of the number, uh, he's definitely the, the number one film analyst that I trust and he did not view Gibson as a back. He viewed him as more of a wide receiver. And I found that really interesting. 
Um, because if Gibson plays some slot for them this year, like they don't have anything outside of Terry McLaurin and Gibson gives them an element that they desperately need, especially in the interior part of the field, um, for fantasy, I don't know. I don't know if Gibson's going to get that many carries, but if he gets like 50 or 60 targets this coming year, which is, I don't think out of the realm of possibilities, um, he could be a really nice, like flex worthy player in his rookie year. And I, I could totally see that too, just because their their new coordinator Scott Turner, he only the sample size couldn't be smaller. I think it was only like two to three games at the end there, but he really started to use Curtis Samuel like we all thought he should be used. Anyone who's seen Curtis Samuel expected him to be used, and that was generating those opportunities in space to let him go and do his thing. And there's it, pretty easy to draw those parallels there with the, the dangerousness, the explosiveness, the big playability. Uh, and obviously, there's some quotes. I think Turner even said something about comparing him to. McCaffrey we know that's not like his gonna be his role we know he's not gonna touch the ball 400 times but if he's envisioning that type of receiving role already for him I mean that's a great sign it's it's not a bad sign by any means Uh, and and you already mentioned too the leader of this class in six all time in your yards created uh, per attempt that was Anthony McFarland he's kind of going under the radar he's only around four picks so like you know, if he's this good at creating yards, how did he fall to round four? And, and do you think that doesn't reflect the upside he has in Pittsburgh? What do you expect of this guy? Yeah, look, I, I don't know Anthony McFarlane. I, I don't I, I'm definitely not in the know of like NFL scout types. Yeah. Uh, but I did read Bob McGinn's piece on the athletic. And apparently there's some off the field concerns with McFarlane. Gotcha. But the on the field concerns uh, there, there aren't any really. Yeah. I mean, McFar- <laughs> McFarlane is an explosive playmaker, man, like. Uh, led the class in yards created per attempt, uh, was elu- pretty elusive uh, on a missed tackle force uh, per touch basis, and was very underutilized as a as a pass catcher. I mean, there were I think he only caught 16 or 17 balls last year, but I, I watched most of them, and every single time I came away with just like the NFL has got to find a way to get this guy the ball as a pass catcher. And lo and behold, he goes to Pittsburgh, <laughs> who doesn't have a good pass catching back. Uh, James Conner, I think, has been a more of a volume-dependent type player um, in terms of his efficiency. If you look in some of the advanced stuff, like he's he's kind of a jag on the ground and, and doesn't. I mean, he's a good pass catcher, but not great. I think Anthony McFarlane is immediately the most talented pass catching back on that team, and I don't think it's remotely close. And I mean, if if some of the off the field concerns don't come to fruition, and he you know he goes in and does the right things in Pittsburgh, I think there's a chance he could usurp. James Conner as the starter this year. Uh, fourth round investment doesn't sound like a lot, but in today's NFL, um, where teams are devaluing backs, I, I think it's enough for him to at least get a shot at a sizable role where he's playing, you know, at least 20 to 25 percent of the team snaps come week one. And the upside is obviously pretty great in that offense with Big Ben. I mean, they've been so reliant on a workhorse. I think entering last year, they hadn't had any running back finish below like RB6 in a in a league because yeah. they just rode their workhorses so much and, and I mean Connor did I think he made it through two full games last year with about 25 different injuries and ailments yeah. so even if he's he could usurp him on talent alone as you're suggesting but he might not even need to rely on that because of the injury history there so I, I think that's a name that's going really under the radar especially after Great. reading your your article on, and, and those stats on him <laughs> the leader and the uh, the attempts I was like oh man really this guy's really got to be elevated so interesting stuff to hear for sure I feel like Zach Moss uh, I don't know how many more we can get into because I do want to run you through the no huddle offense. So if you got to run, by all means, just be like, hey, I got to get going. Um, but Zach Moss, 
good. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all good. <laughs> awesome, man. I really appreciate that, Graham. You're giving us a ton of time here, and I'm sure our listeners are loving this. Uh, Zach Moss, was kind of like if there was that big five, most looked at him as the, the six in this class, and he goes to Buffalo where there's Devin Singletary sitting right there. Do you think he's going to end up forcing a committee? You know, a lot of people are expecting Singletary might blow it up this year. Is is Moss going to be good enough to be an anchor, or what? What do you expect out of this backfield? Yeah, real quick. I mean, I have we're in quarantine, Nick. I have literally <laughs> nothing other to do than to talk football with anyone that will talk football with me. I so, love it. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will stay and talk for hours if you let me. But. Yeah, I I had Zach Moss at RB6 um, pre-draft, and honestly, I didn't feel great about it. I thought Anthony McFarlane was just so so much more talented um, Mm. uh, as a player. But look, I mean, there's always a place for inside grinder types, and that's what Zach Moss is. Um, uh, Their GM came out after the draft, and their head coach, the Bills head coach and GM, came out after the draft and said, yeah, we view Zach Moss as the inside grinder kind of like what Frank Gore was. Uh, they, they, they think that Singletary is kind of the elusive guy that make you miss pass catcher. Uh, and Zach Moss is the inside grinder. And, and you know what, the, I think for, for Moss as a player, not just not talking fantasy for a second, but as a player, the fit makes just so much sense. I mean, Moss would, he's going to need to be behind a pretty good offensive line. I think the bills have a pretty solid one. I mean, it's not top 10, it's not top 12, but it's definitely not in the bottom 10 or 12 either. Mm-hmm. Um, Moss just isn't a very creative player. That's really the biggest problem. I mean, he can force missed tackles through contact balance and, and and running through defenders. But, I mean, he has less burst than David Montgomery. Um, and, and that's a big concern. Um, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, DeAndre Swift were all significantly higher in yards created per attempt on inside the carry, uh, or excuse me, inside the tackle carries than Moss. And, you know, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Moss can pass protect. He's got a pretty, you know, he's a pretty good receiver too. He's pretty efficient. He led this class in yards per route run, uh, which can, should concern you if you're a Devin Singletary owner. But uh, for fantasy, I just don't see anything more of Moss being like you know somebody that's going to get like 180 carries this year and probably not much passing game down work because that should go to Singletary. And when it doesn't go to Singletary, it'll be Josh Allen just running for his life like he always likes to do. Absolutely. The the Concern there, though, is it sounds like Singletary will be very similarly used to what he was, especially down the stretch, and he started to really light it up. But the 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 goal, the the, the wish, I guess, was everybody wants him to get those touchdowns. Josh Allen's already probably the biggest goal and vulture on that team. I mean, led the league in rushing touchdowns back to back years for quarterbacks. Now he's got another guy, like a better version of Frank Gore, at this stage of their careers. It, it makes me nervous for the, the touchdown upside, but it's not like he's going to just disappear from what he was Singletary at the end of last year either. So I, I don't know. I don't know what, I, what I'm thinking of it. I just love – and me and Scott talked about this when he came on. Like there's just not that bell cow upside now with Singletary. Like yeah, he'll probably get 60-ish in the receiving work, the most valuable work, but you, you lose that three-down trait. And if you're not a three-down guy, like do I really care about you at this point anymore? And not only that, the three down stuff is, de- I mean, he's definitely not going to be on the field in all three downs. Moss is going to get some early down stuff. But like you mentioned it, Josh Allen's their goal line back. Over the last two years, he leads that team. He leads the Bills and carries inside of the 10 yard line. And it's not close. Like he, they, they run the ball with Josh Allen when they get in close. And uh, with Singletary, man, like he has like very little touchdown upside now because when they're not going to run the ball with Allen, near the goal line it'll probably go to moss first you would think i mean frank gore is second frank gore was second on that team in the last couple of years and in, in inside the 10 carries so 
yeah, tough, tough day out there for, for Devin Singletary truthers. Definitely. And, and I think, you know, even more so that we kind of knew Singletary had a vulture already there, but I'm actually more worried for this, this next guy and that's Aaron Jones. And I mean, the Packers, obviously, whatever you want to say about their draft, they're being bashed and, and rightfully so. But I think the worst pick, you know, love whether he's the guy or not, who knows, but they go and get AJ Dillon at the end of round two. Uh, after having the guy that that was reigning the league in rushing touchdowns and just obviously Aaron Jones lit it up last year, should we be worried about A.J. Dillon at all? Could he be a vulture there? How do you see this playing out? Look, I don't ever pretend to know more than GMs or even like a third of what GMs know. I I, I just think, look, we, we in this fantasy space, like we go off the data. There's a lot of very smart men and women in the space that, that at times come off as like, they think they know more than coaches and GMs. Um, (sighs) I did not think AJ Dillon would be a second round pick. Honestly, I thought he might be a fifth or sixth round guy. I was (laughs) shocked, shocked that the Packers used 62 overall on him. Um, look, I'm really trying to find positives to say about Dylan. He ran 4.53 at 2.47 at the combine. He's got very good weight-adjusted speed, uh, but that is slow build-up speed. And, and honestly, like just watching every carry, he just is, seemed like a guy who's just going to get the yards that were blocked and not much else. Uh, Boston College's offensive line uh, opened up a class best, 1.9 yards blocked per attempt. Dylan was dead last in this class and missed tackles force per carry. Um, and he really never added too much as a passing game uh, in the passing game. Um, Jonathan Taylor, uh, excuse me, he, he was last. Uh, Dylan was last in the class um, in, in uh, routes per game. Uh, he saw like less than two targets per game. I, I just I don't understand the pick uh, for a 2020 perspective where uh, th- this Packers team should be going all in around their veteran quarterback like the Bucks and right. Colts and, and Saints are doing with their veteran quarterbacks. But they didn't. Um, I guess maybe they view this as an indictment on John, uh, Jamal Williams. Um, both Williams and Aaron Jones are going to be unrestricted free agents after this year. So perhaps they are just kind of viewing Dylan as like maybe their inside grinder type for the future. Um, but from a value perspective in the NFL draft and from like a player perspective, I, I really I'm struggling, struggling to find ways to, to talk positively about this pick. Absolutely. It's, it's a horrendous pick. But it also, as you said, it, we've referenced a few times the draft capital the team put into him suggests like, whether we view him one way or not, right. they clearly like him. Do you right. think he's going to be heavily involved enough to – I mean, I, I found the stat that 36% of Jones's value last year was because of touchdowns. So, I mean, he was his touchdown – not completely touchdown dependent, but that's a, a ton of your value right there. And if this is a goal line situation, we saw that volatility with Jones. He's either scoring four and he's winning you your week or, you know, he had five games under five points. Like, that's that's not your typical RB1. And now we've got this other – body here I, I might just be more lower on jones than the industry as a whole but i, I don't know what, what's your take is is dylan gonna be a vulture here yeah you know aaron jones if you look at some of the efficiency metrics on the ground it is one of the most if not the most efficient running back yeah. in the nfl uh success rate yards after contact missed tackles forced i mean he's always at or near the top of those lists mm-hmm. my hope for fantasy because touchdown regression is coming. Aaron Jones scored 19 freaking touchdowns yeah. last year. It's on like whatever it was, 260 touches. I mean, that, that's not happening again. Right. Uh, he would be lucky to get like eight this year. My hope 
is that they view A.J. Dillon as a Jamal Williams replacement. I mean, Jamal Williams got 100 carries in 14 games last year. Mm -hmm. They give Dillon those carries and then funnel all of the targets that Williams was getting and give those to Aaron Jones. Because Aaron Jones, not only is he a great runner, but he has flashed amazing ability as a pass catcher. I mean, there were a few games last year where Matt LaFleur schemed him targets as a receiver, and it's just like, where the hell has this been all year long? Because Mm -hmm. Jones is... He might still very well be their second best receiver on that team. Like, I love Jay Sternberger. I'm a Jay Sternberger truther. Uh, I think Aaron Jones might be the second best receiver on that team. And and I guess the hope for fantasy is that they make A.J. Dillon their number two runner, replace Jamal Williams, and then just give, you know, most of the targets that Williams was getting to Jones because Jones is just the better player. Uh, I I sure hope so. I mean, there's... Between those two, and it's the talent gap is just so ridiculous between Williams and Jones, and yet still he had five or fewer touches, like greater than Williams in seven of the twelve games they played together, which is just like mind-boggling how they could be that coach. And he was even out touched in I think two or three of those games as well, and that was with Williams. So if Dylan does end up being a nuisance, ah, oh, that that could be horrendous. I do hope he gets that receiving volume because I've been very negative and blind to the fact that, hey, maybe this could open up, so, you know, even if he loses some goal line volume, maybe it does open up the receiving work because I've, I've had a hard time finding optimism. And I owned Jones last year, and we all kind of have our players we love after they light it up for us. But, yeah. man, I've t- I don't know. I'm, I'm getting real nervous about this. He's, he's kind of that guy I'm not touching in rounds one or two, and there's no way he's going to fall to the third. So my. I'm probably not going to have any Aaron Jones again, which sucks because all those things you just cited about him, so fun to watch and such yeah. a great player. So you know, hopefully he finally gets the work he deserves next year. Or maybe he gets it this year. Who knows? Uh, but I'm nervous for him. Uh, the other guy that could potentially carve out as a, as a rookie a goal line role is Josh Kelly uh, coming into the Chargers here. I'm trying to figure out this backfield because obviously we've seen how valuable Melvin Gordon's been these last three or four years. We saw what Eckler did last year, and it's just Anthony Lynn's offense seems to to scheme a ton of work, both as a and that might be Rivers too. I know he has a tendency to throw to his running backs, but it is a very running back centric offense. Uh, now that they, they've also hyped up Justin Jackson a ton this off season, so I mean, is this a three headed nightmare? Is Eckler should we be nervous about his value at all? What's what do you make of the Chargers backfield next year? Yeah, you know, to me, I, I, uh, I'm i actually going to go back and, and chart Kelly officially, but I watched enough to, to kind of get a feel for the player before the draft because mm. I thought Kelly would go day three. Um, yeah. I just wasn't sure how early. Uh, he's, you know, kind of just a classic downhill guy. Um, yeah. No nonsense. He's going to pick up what's blocked for him. I thought he was a little bit better receiver than his production showed. Uh, again, I'm going to go back and, and, and chart and, and make sure, but... I don't know if Josh Kelly is a better player than Justin Jackson, honestly. Like yeah. the little bit we've seen out of Justin Jackson, like he looked like a baller. I mean, there is yeah. a few few carries he had in the last couple of years where it's like, damn, there's a there, he, there's something here with Jackson. So to me, I, I think, um, you know, again, we, we probably won't see training camps this year, and and I think that's going to put Kelly automatically behind Jackson. And you know, once the practices do start rolling and games start rolling, I think we might see uh, Jackson be the clear number two to, to Eckler. I, I don't necessarily view the Kelly pick as anything more than like, we just desperately needed some depth. And this was a yeah. fourth round pick uh, on a guy that, uh, you know, we liked as a downhill runner, but probably not somebody they're going to use as a feature player. 
Gotcha. Do you think Eckler, those first four weeks, right, without Gordon last year were ridiculous. I, I don't have the stats right on me, but I, I mean, I know he only scored, was outscored by McCaffrey, like just lighting up scoreboards over 21 fantasy points per game, I believe. Is there a chance we get that Eckler all year? Or, or do you think this is suggesting we might get a, a committee situation all year? It'll be a committee. Um, yeah. Before I left the NFL Network, I actually got a chance to interview Austin Eckler. Oh, he's nice. like one of the, yeah, he's like one of the nicest dudes I've ever met. Uh, I talked video games with him for a long time, but uh, he actually I asked him about this, and I was like, you know, the first couple first month of the season, you were just an absolute stone cold baller without Melvin Gordon. Um, you know, in the future, I, you know, I asked him like, you know, do you view yourself as like a workhorse back, kind of like how we think of Melvin Gordon, or do you see yourself as like a committee type player? And he, his answer was pretty frank. He's like, you know, I think I can be the lead, but we want to make sure I'm fresh and, and make sure yeah. that, you know, I can still be explosive late in the season. And to me, I think that they're, they're never going to use Austin Eckler as a levy on bell Zeke Elliott type player where they're playing every single snap. I just don't think that's uh, the type of player Eckler is. Mm -hmm. Uh, my biggest concern for Eckler is not necessarily Josh Kelly or Justin Jackson. It's the loss of Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers targeted his running backs more often than any quarterback in the NFL last year. It wasn't even close. Like Rivers was just constantly checking the ball down to Eckler and Gordon. And I I just don't know if Justin Herbert and Tyrod Taylor are those types of quarterbacks. Yeah, that's that's a great point there too. I, I wonder... I, I got to look back. I've been writing about it, but I got to see how you know Shady McCoy kind of did with Tyrod. Was there any kind of – and that was with Anthony Lynn too. I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but I feel like he had a decent receiving year. Certainly not you know 100-something targets and 90 catches like Eckler, but you're, you're right. Yeah, that's, that could definitely be a, a pretty big concern. The, the one other receiving usage I wanted to touch upon, the last rookie I have listed down, and if you have anyone else that I'm missing, by all means, let me know, but – I was really excited when Deion Lewis left Tennessee. I thought maybe finally, you know, Derrick Henry, not that he's McCaffrey by any means in the receiving game, but he's done well on screens. He averages over 10 yards a catch. Like, he's he's done well when he got the work. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is finally the three-down Henry horse show. And then they go and draft, uh, I hope I said this right, Darrington Evans. I don't even know if I pronounced his no, name right. Uh, there we go. Sweet. Uh, but... Is this a receiving back? I don't know much about this guy at all. I kind of just wanted to like pick your brain. Like, what's this guy do? What's sure. he do well? Is he a threat to Henry's usage at all? What, what do we think? Sure. Um, I so I got to preface this. I I was born in Boone, North Carolina. That's where App State is at. So I grew oh. up going to App State games. So I, I've watched quite a bit of, of Darrington Evans over the last couple of years. And App State has been, I think, now to five straight legit bowl games. So like back when I was watching them, I mean, they were like. You know, they're, you know, they were division two, like never getting any buzz. And now they're getting like actual buzz and being ranked inside the top 20. So it's cool. And it's really cool to see Darrington Evans get the love that he deserves because he's a great player. Um, I never thought Evans would be a featured back in the NFL, though. Uh, I always thought he would be a really when I was watching him. And, and as I got through the process and I charted all of his games and stuff, I, I came away with like this guy could be a really good starter for a few games, but he's more than likely Uh, going to be just like one of the best change of pace backs in the NFL. And I think this is a perfect landing spot for him. Uh, Evans is just a jitterbug, man, like in the open Mm. space. um, You know, if if you've got some time to kill, like just go pull up like YouTube and and watch a couple of Evans games because uh, it's really fun. Like he looked like the best player on the field pretty much every single game at App State. Um, What I found really interesting about the fit after the draft 
is that App State runs a ton of outside zone. Like that's the basis of their run offense. And the Titans are the most outside zone uh, team, in, like one of the most outside zone heavy teams in the NFL. So I think they viewed, I think they viewed Evans not only as like just a good change of pace back to to Henry, but I think they just viewed him as a great fit for their offense. Yeah. I mean, he's like the complete opposite of of Henry. Henry's like two fifty and runs through everybody. Evans uh, is just like kind of a, a jitterbug and kind of like a lightning rod. I think they could be a really good one-two tandem, but I think it's pretty clear that that Derrick Henry is going to get yeah. the rock is 18 to 22 times per game, and, and they'll use him a little bit as a screen player. And Evans will just be an upgrade on Deion Lewis, at least for this season. Gotcha, gotcha. Is, is there any I – mean, we look at Henry and we kind of look at him as this, like, unstoppable force. He'll never get hurt. But if he did go down, like, is there a handcuff? Like, could Evans shoulder everything, do you think? I think he could. And yeah. honestly, I mean, the Titans don't really have much behind them on their depth chart right now. They could go get a veteran guy. I don't know if they will, but I think Evans could could. I think he he's. It looks like right now we'll see how what the Eagles do with their backfield. See if they add a back. But I think, you know, the idea of a handcuff is like a 2010 idea that just doesn't exist anymore. Like handcuffs don't exist. But uh, Darrington Evans is about as close to a good handcuff as you can get. Gotcha. Is there is there any other backs we've missed here, or should we move on to the uh, last part of the interview here? Uh, no, let's do it. Let's, let's get to the last part. Yeah. That's why I, I figured we covered as many as possible there. I appreciate it. Uh, and you're going to actually be the first one I do this with in 2020. Cause I always like to wait till after the draft. Uh, we can kind of see what depth charts really look like. And you're the, the first, uh, we call them the, the wolf, no huddle. So you're going to lead us off here and, and it's, uh, really just a quick gut reaction. If you feel like expanding on any of your answers, of course, you're more than welcome to, but we're just kind of looking for that, that name that pops in your head when I read it, it's kind of fill in the blank styles. So you ready to let it rip? Let's do it, man. All righty. So after McCaffrey, the number two player in 2020 draft should be? Saquon. The next Dalvin Cook, a.k.a. a second-round back who then is top five in 2021, will be? My dude, Miles Sanders. Favorite fantasy team, team name you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, can it? Oh, boy. I, I, there's a few. Um <laughs> Man, can we come back to that one? Because I have so many. <laughs> we can absolutely come back to that one. Yeah, and it's a t- I, I, this is my first time doing that one on this. It's a tough yeah. question because so many of the best names are often like digs at your opponents or like you know get personal with it. So I totally understand if it's like there's not a clear one that it's going to make sense to any of us. But yeah, if, you, if anything <laughs> pops to mind before the end, definitely let us know. Um, alrighty. So we talked about the next Dalvin cook. What about the next Chris Godwin kind of a round four or five receiver that just explodes into this elite target hog? Terry McLaurin. 2020s Mark Andrews or breakout tight end will be. Oh, there's no other Mark Andrews. There's no other George Kittle too. Uh, I loved Kittle super late two years ago. Uh, God, I think Hayden Hurst has like a really outside chance at doing it, but I don't feel as nearly as strongly as I did about Andrews last year. The most hated NFL player for fantasy-specific reasons for you is? 
Taysom Hill. God, Taysom freaking Hill. <laughs> he is so annoying. And it is the most polarizing like Twitter player of all time. You say one bad oh thing about God. him and you've got the, the Taysom Hill community on you. It's uh, that's, that's classic. I'm going to cut that up and put it on Twitter. You're going to have everybody on you after this one. <laughs> Please don't, for the love of God. I had to mute. Dude, I, Nick, I literally muted Taysom Hill's name on Twitter because I just could not do it anymore. I could not take any more Taysom Hill takes. I just couldn't uh, do it. I love it. Um, so there probably won't be another Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes level breakout, but if any quarterback was going to do it, who would it be this year? Kyler Murray. And I, and that'll be a consensus opinion, but it's the right one. Which early rounder, one or two, is going to bust the hardest? Uh, early round, one or two, is going to bust the hardest. Aaron Jones, probably. Mm-hmm. Those touchdowns are going to be, that, that touchdown regression is going to hit hard. And if A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams are both involved, it'll be really, really hard for them. Absolutely. Who do you think gained the most fantasy value during this 2020 offseason? Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, my goodness. He went from like being the 109, 110 in dynasty drafts to being the 101. Conversely, who do you think lost the most? <laughs> uh, man. That's a tough one. Uh, probably Marlon Mack. I guess it's uh, my I would probably, yep. <laughs> yeah, I would probably say Marlon Mack. I would also maybe put Damien Williams in that conversation, but I think we kind of all expected the Chiefs to at least add a back. The Colts using 41 overall and moving up to get Taylor yeah. was definitely a surprise. So yeah, I'd go Mack. Absolutely. Uh, most lists, A.J. Brown's kind of the top of the sophomore class for wide receivers. So who do you think should go after him among second-year receivers or even challenge his top spot if you think there's someone better out there? Yeah, McLaurin. I think second year receiver McLaurin. I love it. Uh, target hogs or workhorse backs? What do you like more? Mm. <laughs> I mean, workhorse backs. I mean, yeah, yeah, workhorse backs. I mean, there's just fewer of them. Yeah, there's just fewer of them. Over the last three years, Kamara, Connor, and Eckler have all kind of had top five seasons, despite falling past round seven in fantasy drafts. Who's that going to be in 2020? <laughs> oh boy, I, I I don't know how much. It, you have been looking at like running back after the top four or five rounds this year, but holy crap, dude, it just falls it's off. Hideous. Freaking it's it's really freaking bad. I think I'm going to go uh, running back, running back, running back in like most leagues. If, if, if three of my first four, if not the first three straight, just to, like you said, the drop off's huge. But if yeah, there's anybody that catches your eye out there. <laughs> it's a, and honestly, the first, going running back heavy, the first two to three picks, that's a, that's going to be a, my main strategy in most of my leagues too. I, I'm going to go super off the board because I, just love the player but i'm gonna say anthony mcfarland i just think if there's a chance that like there's a chance that if james connor doesn't get hurt he might be the best player in that backfield and if connor gets hurt again then it could be lights out love it what about the ideal league settings for you yeah uh for dynasty i've been playing in a lot of super flex leagues uh mm. and i think that makes a lot of sense just because like in one quarterback leagues pretty much everybody has the same roster construction but in super flex definitely opens up uh, uh, kind of way, I don't know, it opens up just a totally different avenue of theory. So if you haven't checked out a super flexly, both for Dynasty and Redraft, I'd, I'd definitely check it out. Love it. What about uh, after Michael Thomas, which receiver should go next? Oh, Nick, I have a super hot take. Devontae, <laughs> Adams, Devontae Adams might, he should maybe go ahead of Michael Thomas. Really? Uh, yeah. 
Do you want to tell us that take my, real quick? <laughs> that's my that's my guy. I look, Devontae Adams might be walking into legitimately 200 targets this year. He was mm-hmm. on pace to get 170 uh, last year. Missed four games. Was going to get 170. Packers didn't add any receivers. Like, man, like Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas, I think are in the same tier. I, th- I think it. it's that close. Love it. Uh, the most important coaching move for fantasy purposes this offseason is going to be blank for whose value? Hmm. That's a tough one, man. Yeah. Hmm. Let me let me let me think about this one. My my guy. While you're thinking, I I love Joe Brady going. Even though he's not the head coach, I love right. what he could potentially bring. Like if I look at who could be the next McVay style guy, like that just comes in and the offense is completely turned around. I, I like him and I like what they've built around him there. But I, I don't yeah. know if you see anybody else making a huge impact. Yeah, Brady was the first one that comes to my mind too. I, I wanted to go a little off the board. Yeah, I'll I'll follow you. Honestly, like I think it makes the most sense because I mean what Brady did with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, especially on like angle and option routes. Christian McCaffrey, Christian yeah. McCaffrey is going to run. He's going to run circles around some of those linebackers. Um, I, real quick. I guess I could say Mike McCarthy because he run he, back in Green Bay. It's not necessarily for any one particular player, but back in Green Bay, the, the Cowboys ran like eleven personnel almost every play, and they're going to run. They're going to be an eleven in almost every play this year with Lamb and Cooper and Gallup this year. So I'm really interested to see how McCarthy kind of utilizes all of those players uh, as a whole there because they've got three excellent wide receivers now. I mean, Dak, Dak could go like 5,040. <laughs> it could be insane. <laughs> There's a, Dak was the QB2 last year in total right. fantasy points. Now, granted, that's because Mahomes missed some time. But like Dak has an outside chance at like being a top two quarterback again this year, even with Jackson and Mahomes there. I think his MVP odds, I, not to get off the script there, but my, my buddy loves tracking these. And I think it was like plus 1,500 right now for Dax. So Don't he threw stop. Down. Just stop. No, no. <laughs> we want that value there. I saw, I, dude, I got, I, I got an 18 to 1 on Dak. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. If you can find it, go go buy some Dak. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Like He could just completely light that thing up this year. Um, all right, so last couple here. So I won't leave 2020 fantasy drafts without getting – blank mm. Terry McLaurin <laughs> yeah that's that's the guy this time huh? I love I mean, it for, for, for running backs though like I'm, I'm if I don't get Miles Sanders or Clyde Edwards Lair or Kenyon Drake in the second round like that's those are my guys in the second round this year I, uh, I do you do any auction drafts or yeah of course yeah that that's kind of my my goal this year I will see but I love that like tier of second round backs like I want three of them I you know everyone blows their load for the seventy dollar like bell cows and then I'm gonna kind of swoop in and try to get three of those guys at least you could yeah man you could in in auction this year you could feasibly come away with your auction league draft with four of them you could get yeah. Edwards Alaire Drake Eckler and Sanders and just absolutely rake it's absolutely. definitely possible I love it um, all right last two here so. The opposite of that question, you'll never find blank on any of my fantasy teams in 2020. Leonard Fournette. <laughs> Same boat here. Uh, and so here we go. Funniest last place punishment or side bet you've either had to suffer or that you've at least witnessed in a league. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that I had to suffer, I had, um, man, I want to say I was in like seventh or eighth grade. I, I, I finished dead last in a fantasy baseball league, uh, got absolutely destroyed, uh, had to go to baseball practice uh, the, the next day, 
and and had a sign that I, I I can't remember. It was some verbiage of like I suck at fantasy baseball, and I had to I had to buy everybody like food after the after the game. Uh, that's probably my favorite one. I made I once made a we once made a buddy though like drink. I think we made him drink like eight beers and maybe thirty minutes for losing uh, nice. our fantasy football league, and that was probably one of the funniest ones I've ever seen. Uh, I one one thing I had to do is. I had to wear my buddy's Letterman jacket to like Thanksgiving Day, where like everybody's like <laughs> at town and stuff, and I had to go out in like his jacket. Right. And be like, yeah, he's my hero. Horrible. Uh, yeah, I, I love a good fantasy side bet. So we'll wrap up here with your boldest twenty twenty fantasy prediction, and then just kind of a reminder of where our listeners can find your work and connect with you. Sure. Boldest prediction. I'll just stick with it. I think Devontae Adams is the wide receiver one this year. I think, um, look, Michael Thomas is an awesome player. He's going to get the rock a bunch this year. Uh, but the Saints have made some moves to get, uh, you know, you know, Manny Sanders and, and Alvin Kamara will be healthy this year. They'll get the ball to Jared Cook. I think there's an outside chance that, that Dev- I, I, I think people are going to view it as an outside chance that Devontae Adams could be the wide receiver one. But I think those two are are really close. Uh, Nick, this was freaking awesome, dude. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, really, really appreciate it. You can always check out my work and, and the rest of our staff's great work at fantasypoints.com. And I'm on the Twitter machine at Graham Barfield. Awesome. Great. I mean, it, it, I appreciate it so much. As excited as you were, this was like beyond anything I could have ever expected. I, you were so generous with your time. I get we're in quarantine and everything, but the insight you brought, like the predictions, the the rookie evaluations, I truly don't think there's anybody that looks at rookie running backs. Uh, I, I love your guy, Greg Cosell, too, but I love that, you know, combining both of your works over at Fantasy Points to get the, the picture of this running back class has been incredible. And just your work in general uh, is amazing. So if, if for whatever reason you follow me and you don't follow Follow Graham, like you got to make sure to do it because this guy is bringing the absolute heat. So thanks again, Graham, so much uh, for the time today. This this was incredible. Absolutely, thank you. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh oh oh, oh. and wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go. But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.